You'll be doing things you don't like doing in order to go on living, that is to go on doing things you don't like doing, which is stupid. Better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way. And after all, if you do really like what you're doing, it doesn't matter what it is, you should eventually become a master of it. It's the only way to become a master of something, to be really with it. Hello and happy holidays. Let's get this year over with and on with a better 2021. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying safe. Welcome to the Broken Tangent Animation Podcast, episode number nine. We're almost in the double digits, everybody. Almost in the double digits. In this episode, we get to talk to one of my good friends for almost 20 years, lead character artist from Blind Squirrel Games, Scott Army. Scott and I first met back in QA in 2004 on World of Warcraft Vanilla. Um, just two kids trying to improve our artwork, him on the modeling side and me on the animation side, uh, trying to figure out how to get a QA at that point. But fast forward to 15, shit, six, 17 years later, now he's working for Blind Squirrel Games as the lead character artist. And we taught him what that entails a little bit. We talk about what it's like working for a company who has to bid for their projects and um, talking about, you know, not necessarily being able to work on projects that are your dream projects up front, especially when you come out of school as a student, maybe getting stuck in a, you know, a junior position at a company that's working on Barbie 12. You know what I mean? Just something that... Um, you don't normally think about when you're trying to get out in your first job is what what's the project that you're going to work on and what's the studio working on that's going to allow you to start your adventure into this industry. So it's interesting to talk to him about what it's like to work on projects that you're really hyped about when he was working at Blizzard at the uh, cinematics team, now the Blizzard animation team. He worked with me there for a few years and then went to Blind Squirrel Games. We also talked to Scott what it's like being let go from a company and how uh, you bounce back and, and recover from that. It's also something that you don't think about as a student is sadly in this industry, we see a lot of turnover. I'm blessed and I've been lucky to be at one company for 17 years now come next May, which is crazy to me, but that's not, that's very rare. Most people you talk with five to seven years at a company is a very long time. So it's, you know, good to talk about these things and bring it out in the open and hear other people's experience with it and how they bounce back and, and, and how it made them feel, honestly, overall. So Scott kind of tells us about his experience of the Blizzard layoffs in 2008, I believe, and he got let go during that point. So this is a good episode to talk, to, to listen to and and kind of digest as a student, as someone looking to get industry or learning, wanting to learn more about the industry. Scott has a lot of good info and he's been in it a long time like I have and it's uh, it's nice to get his perspective. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Hoping another game to get four episodes out again. We were lucky this year to get five episodes out. So thank you again for supporting the podcast and urging me on to continue this. Of course, if you think that you'd love to come onto the podcast and talk to me about your experience in this industry, be a film or video game, please hit me up, shoot me a DM, hit me up on my website, brokentangent.com. Otherwise, we'll see you on Twitch and we'll see you online, everybody. And as always, support an artist, be kind to one another. Happy holidays, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you Lead in 2021. Squirrel Games, Scott Army. How in the hell are you, sir? Hi, how are Hi. you? Hi. Hi. We connected. We made the technology work. We did. 
No, let's uh, just hope I have enough space on my hard drive to make the uh, <laughs> capture happen all the way through. Yeah, if this cuts out halfway through, I'm gonna be so pissed. I'm gonna be upset. I had I've had had to do one podcast over twice, where I accidentally <laughs> had um, two microphones on, not knowing that the webcam uh, microphone was also recording at the same time. Oh, so geez. I went back the night after to look at the footage, and I had this double echo every time we talked. It was fantastic. <laughs> that was with uh, Michael Powell, out of all people. So you but couldn't, I, like, couldn't, like, ADR it? No, I couldn't. I tried my damnedest <laughs> to edit it out, and, um, no, it just couldn't work. So I had to buy him dinner for a second podcast round. Wow, that's expensive. It was expensive, but it was worth it. We had a good time. <laughs> we talked a lot about old shit. Which I'm sure that uh, you and I are going to talk about some old times. God, Scott, how long have we known each other for now? Uh, Has it been 16, uh, 17 years? It's going on that. Like, uh, I started at Blizzard in 2003, and I want to say that you and all those other guys came in, what, within like half a year? So it was like 2004 at some point? Yeah, I was in um, May 2004. Yeah, so you came like basically a year after me. Okay. Um... And so that was like you and Schwan and Sue and and all those other guys, but yeah, it's been uh, it's been a long long road, sir. It has, <laughs> and I remember uh, walking into Blizzard, and you were looking at your uh, orc. It was back then. It was the high poly version of your World of Warcraft orc you were working on for a cinematic yeah. demo reel, if I recall. Yeah, that was a. Uh... That was a, that one took a while. Uh, I remember I used to cold email some of the guys on the team because I sort of knew people. Yes. You just slide, it's like sliding the DMs nowadays. You just cold email them up. Like, hey, I'm in the company already. Guess what? I uh, know I email. I don't think I did myself any favors because it'd be like, uh, yeah, I think it was Fosto actually. It was like, oh, yeah, that was really good. How long did that take you? And I'm like, uh, I've been working on that for like two years. Yeah. <laughs> And they were like, click. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a junior. What do you want? I'm a junior. Uh, uh, it was a, uh, it was good times, man. Like, uh, God, we spent like what, like five years in QA. Okay. Um, less than. I was out by 2008, right before Wrath of the Lich King shipped. But let me, let's back up even. Let's back up even before that. So, you okay. got to Blizzard to 2003 but a year before i did or a half a year or whatever but what i love about you is that before blizzard let's tell the class what you were doing before you even got into a video game industry type of position which job do you want me to describe because there were two well fuck it scott fuck it scott let's just jump into like when you were young so in 1975 i was born uh, a bad boy and you came out the room were you into art as a kid were you into not art were you into sports how did you get uh, to where you were like you know what fucking game industry sounds great right now that was kind of a mistake really um it, growing up i was always into like uh drawing and comic books and you know video games and what have you but uh i kind of was also pseudo intellectual i suppose i like i did well in school and wanted to make everybody happy so i ended up sort of giving all that stuff up when i was hmm, maybe i guess a freshman in high school or maybe even in eighth grade i i kind of just stopped 
100% stopped. I didn't think it was a career path. It mm. didn't seem like uh, like art was really like you could even you could go to like you know RISD or 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 one of those schools for like graphic design or or advertising, and I just mm. had no interest in any of that stuff. So I was were like, you well, aware of like Cal Arts and those types of schools of that around that time? No, no, I was, no. I was, so I grew up on the East Coast and my sort of trajectory, the only things that I was really interested in in high school were kind of chemistry and marching band. Like I liked music and I liked, um, and I liked science. And so again, I, I didn't fancy myself good enough uh, or well-rounded enough as a musician to sort of pursue that. So I ended up going to school up in Maine to study chemistry, uh, or I guess biology. I got a bachelor's degree in, in biology. Was and that a three-year program, four-year program? No, four-year. Mm. Uh, four-year bachelor of science, small liberal arts school. Um, and so I got my degree in 1998. Um, ended up being like unemployed for like six months. And then out of college, I, like out of, right out of college? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was living in my parents' house. I moved back to Connecticut. It was like living in my parents' like basement. Church. I was and living I was at like, grandma's at that point. Uh, such a loser. <laughs> hey, you know it's uh, a college kid life though, because I I came out, uh, of course, hoping that the demo reel was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get three job offers at least with this awesome mm-hmm. chef walk I've got, um, and I didn't hear anything back. And of course, back then it was sending in a VHS tape, which I'm sure you went through possibly. I uh, did not. Actually. You didn't do any of VHSs. Okay, well, let's continue on. So you were you your four-year degree, went for a biology, chemistry. Yeah, and so like my first thing out of the gate was I worked at like a. It was like a underprivileged kid, um, naturalist uh, science center in a place called Huguenot, New York, and uh, basically inner-city kids who couldn't afford to like take trips out to nature they would come up to like school trips up there for like five days seven days yeah. and we take them hiking and teach them about natural you know like uh natural sciences and do like ropes courses with them and and eat with them and and you know take them on nature walks and and all that kind of stuff go fishing with them nice. and uh i did that and that paid like nothing for I want to say like six or seven months. And then after that, I moved to Boston uh, and lived in my sister's apartment for like six months while I got a gig as a, like a, a I guess it'd be like an associate level um, or a science person, like a scientist, but not really a scientist because that's kind of like a title that you have to work quite a while to get. And so I worked at some really big pharmaceutical companies for, I don't know, like four years, both in in Boston and then in California. And eventually I came to the conclusion that that stuff is horseshit. <laughs> Wait, working in pharmaceuticals in general? Yeah, so okay. I was like, a, I, I ended up being sort of just below like an associate scientist type position, excuse me. And um, I really did not like it. I didn't like the work. It didn't really... Uh, it's kind of interesting to learn when you're in college, but if you put it into practice, it's a lot of just like tedious note keeping and experiment running and, and, and just, you know, prep for things. And wait, let me ask you this at this point, if you would have, if you would have hung with it, would you have been doing stuff like, 
<laughs> making the COVID vaccine, like working on those types of projects? Um, if I had been interested in doing stuff like that, the last company I worked at was actually a place called, uh, what was it called? ASP. And that was like run by Johnson and Johnson. And mm. they made these like $600,000, uh, uh, hospital sterilizers. Mm. So like the things that like sterilize endoscopes and all the, the crazy stuff that you, you know, cut people's bodies open with and yep. that kind of stuff. We made the, they looked like washing machines, but they were basically these hydrogen peroxide machines that would uh, just sterilize all the equipment, but they had to, you know, they're constantly doing R and D on new ones and doing, you know, efficacy tests to make sure that the stuff that they're making is safe and mm -hmm. effective. And mm -hmm. so I was one of the people that did that kind of stuff. And I hated it. I hated it, hated the people, hated everything about it. It was just a really kind of miserable experience. Yeah. And I think it was reflected in the fact that I didn't really stay at any one of those places for more than like a year. Okay. And so, you know, uh, at that point in time, I, uh, I guess my wife had seen it. Um, and I don't remember where, but she'd gotten like a flyer for some terrible fly by night, um, night school, which was like, Hey, do you want to learn media arts? And I didn't even know what that was, but it had, yes. it said something about like video games. I was like, Ooh, okay. Yeah. So you like to play games. You want to make them? Yeah. It was kind of like that, you know, <laughs> tighten up the graphics on level three sort of thing. And so, uh, you know, I was like, well, I, what can I lose? Right. Like uh, it'll cost me a few hundred bucks and it's, yeah. you know, it, it's not like, um, you know, like art Institute, like all of you guys, there's so many horror stories about that place. Uh, how how I expensive could, it is. And I might just do a separate video about my art college experience and how that went down. Yeah. And so I, uh, I, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it as an artist, even at that point in time, I just, you know, I was learning 3d studio max and this was like 2002 and you know i was just kind of whatever and one of the guys in the class with me i guess his wife was a hairdresser and got high with someone who worked at blizzard <laughs> and, perfect and at the time <laughs> the I, instant ins uh, remember the when time, i bought that dime bag off you dude you got you know that i'm not one of those people <laughs> uh I'm, I'm the biggest square on the planet but um that dude's wife knew somebody and then she dropped the name blizzard and i was like well i didn't really at the time play blizzard games okay but you'd heard of them yeah i mean i remember like you know you used to walk into like eb games and stuff if people remember that and it would be like uh warcraft 3 or starcraft or uh diablo or, and you'd see the boxes but at the time i wasn't i didn't have enough money to own a pc so mm -hmm. And I had sort of gotten out of the, uh, you know, I was only playing like PlayStation 2 and PlayStation 3 and stuff like that. So I wasn't, uh, I wasn't super down with uh, uh, that stuff, but I figured, hey, what the heck, you know. And so I tried to get in there because they had some QA spots open. Um, and I interviewed, uh, and it, it, it went pretty smoothly. They just had me do some crazy test of, uh, you know, uh, I think it was Warcraft 3. Wait, let me back up. Did you just do a phone interview? You were out in California now at this point. Yeah, so I was living with Allison, my wife. Uh, am I allowed to just say people's names? Or... Yeah, I mean, as long as you feel comfortable with it, for sure. Yeah, my wife Allison. So we were together, and we had actually just gotten married 
right before I started. But, um, but yeah, I just was living out here and, and, you know, I just finished my last stint as a temp with that last company. And I was like, all right, well, you know, it dovetailed nicely into me starting at Blizzard. And so I remember interviewing there and, um, I think I started a week or two before Frozen Throne went Gold Master. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so it was pretty stressful and very busy at that point in time. They really didn't have a lot of time to like sort of handhold you while they were getting everything ready to put that out the door. But uh, yeah, there I stayed, and I was a temp. And, you know, this was at a point in time where, like, it was really hard to... Well, I mean, I, I think it's harder now. Like, if someone tries to get in QA now, it's much more legit and yeah and there's a they there's sort of like a technical side that they expect you to have that's you know scripting and and engineering and and stuff that like we just didn't have to and the communication Um, side too oh really yeah but uh back then it was just uh you know i mean we were all temps you know, and, and yep. I almost had to start a night crew, but they, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but I think Chris Manley just didn't, felt bad for me or something. So, like, they put me on day crew. And so I never worked night crew unless I was working overtime. And, uh, yeah, but there's a, you know, there's a lot of uh, interesting guys and gals that are now pretty, pretty prominent in the industry, actually, that were, were sharing time with me when we were doing, uh, doing QA there. Yeah, there was a, there's a lot of individuals that ended up going doing some pretty big things in the game industry. So you ended up, um, how long were you a temp before you got hired full-time in QA? I want to say it was about 10 months to a year before they offered me a position. Okay. Which was, it was such a huge deal. Like, we all would go to, like, you know, we all go to lunch at, like, Wendy's and just be talking about, God, my, my contract's coming up or yeah are you gonna get hired (laughs) yeah and you know i think right about the time that um world of warcraft started coming into test and they started needing to expand the team um uh they that's when they started making offers for people to come on full-time because they needed people to be team leads yeah so i got the chance to be a team lead on the vanilla wow there and uh yeah, then I just, you know, basically spent the next three and a half years in QA. I think I ex- exited QA probably six months after, like, you and Dovernecker and, and uh, is there anyone else that went up with you guys? I thought it was you two, and then I went later. Uh, Joe Mag was there for a little bit. Oh, yes, that's right. Um, and, and I think Francis was up there, too, but that was after I got hired. Francis oh, Lane. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, hold on. You were there for three years before you got the job in cinematics. I was there, right? but I was there for five and a half years. Five and a half years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2003, and then late in 2008, they had just started rolling out the internal, uh, internal promotion or internal uh, referral. Yeah. yeah. And so I did two stints there. Um, where I did a stint for like three or four months and they had me doing like UVs and low level modeling for like, uh, I think it was like the second Starcraft two, like the first expansion. So is that Heart of the Swarm? The first expansion was Heart of the Swarm, man. Yeah. I think 
think I was working on that. And then... Hold on, let me ask you this. Uh, actually, let's tell the class. So during those five and a half years in QA, you're going home afterwards and you're working on your modeling character art reel, yes? Yeah, so like I was in my time in, uh, in QA, I was also doing that learning tree thing, that, that, that crappy night school deal. And um, so, you know, I would finish my shift at like, I don't know, between five and nine at night, depending on how much overtime we were working. And uh, then I'd go home and be up to like four in the morning, just uh, making terrible models. <laughs> but awesome models to you at the time. They looked well, dope as shit. I was like, that work was awesome. I mean, it, 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 they noticed it enough to like not think I was a complete idiot, but certainly it wasn't like blowing anybody's head. Uh, so um, you're working on your demo reel or just on your portfolio at nights, and this opportunity comes up as like an internal move to almost like a um, a contractor on cinematics. Now, did you have to show them a portfolio before you even? started that process or was it like hey this guy just knows about modeling and if you guys need him take him try him out uh i think i sort of had a reputation in qa as being one of the better art guys i get um, that and so um i had always expressed an interest into going into cinematics i mean they matt sammy and a couple other people had like had internal mobility meetings and they would talk to the QA guys and I was always really interested in that stuff. And, you know, I knew a few of the people on that team in particular. I, I, I was sort of friends with Steve Haskell oh, yes. um, and he was sort of my window into he and believe it or not, Jordy Swainbank. So yeah. Jordy was in QA with us and then he left Blizzard to go to some like Toronto or, Canadian VFX house to do compositing mm -hmm. and then he Digital came back domain. yeah and so he uh I knew him and I knew Steve and they were sort of my window into that department so I would always be like hey you know here's some of my stuff can you put it in front of the modelers be really interested in like learning from them or asking questions or doing whatever you know if you ever need someone to do low level crap I sure would love the opportunity yeah um and eventually uh i think there was a big drive because that was a big complaint in the company at the time was that people weren't having the ability to move around like they wanted um and i, I think that was actually like not just qa to development but also from one development team to the other from mm -hmm. development team to cinematics and vice versa and so um that's what it was called internal mobility and so through that i ended up getting a stint where I went on the environment team and helped out for, I want to say like three or four months. And then I got kicked back to QA and I was super bummed. And then- Did they, they tell you why they kicked you back to QA? They, they gave you feedback beforehand? Yeah, they, I mean, they said they liked my stuff and, and uh, they just didn't have a spot. Like they just didn't have, have a, a full-time spot. Yeah, like they don't really have a ton of those. And so at the time, they're just like, we just don't have anything for you. So mm. got to go back, don't know what to tell you. And so, you know, uh, I went back and was in QA for like another, I don't know if it was like another four months. And then they sent me back again uh, for another stint there. Um, and at that point, they, at the end of that second stint, they hired me. 
So when they hit you up for the second stint, were they like, hey, did they, wait, did they hit you up directly or did they hit up your manager at that point? Like, hey, we got another three months, six months, you'd love to have Scott back. I don't recall because mm. I was having lots of conversations with uh, the, the manager at the time. It was Moser. And, um, you know, I, I, I expressed to him that I really wanted to get out of QA and, and finally into a dev team. And I think he might have really sort of um, pushed a few buttons to try and get people to really take me on one more time and then, you know, be like, look, if you, you can only do this one more time. So if you want him, you got to take him now because we're not going to just have him ping ponging in and out. He's yeah. not really effective as a, as an artist or as a QA tester, if he's only doing it for a few months at a time. Yep. And so they hired me and that was, that was awesome. You know, um, lots of great people there and learned a lot of stuff and, uh, you know, worked on some great shows with them. Yeah, so we a, did. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting and awesome way to, to break into it. Like most people don't go to a department like that as their first professional gig. I remember you first coming in, I think, um, no, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was later. Maybe I just remember the one of the most vivid projects I have on your screen is you working on the dam rocks for Cataclysm, I think, when the dam breaks apart. Oh, Lock Madon, yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're working on those freaking dam rocks forever, I felt like. Yeah, I was. I don't think they were happy that I spent as much time as I did. Ah, well, there's some good-looking rocks. You go back to that cinematic, which I'll cut here. And look at those cool-looking rocks. Scott Shoot. Army. Well, I mean, you, you you touched a lot of assets on the environment side while you were there, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, so that Lock Madon one was mostly... I did all the breaks for it, and then uh, Rio Prendergast did the, the base modeling for the heads for for the dam. Um, what else did I do on that? Uh, I did a lot of the setup with the the uh, proxy stuff and the base pieces for like the ground break for the barons, and I think I did some shader stuff for the Zeppelin that crashes. And okay and maybe a tiny bit of projection stuff or, or with the church at the end. But like, uh, I didn't really participate much in that part of it. Um, but yeah, that was like, that was the first big one where I actually got to model things for it. And that was pretty cool. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. And, uh, those pipelines were very rough to work with from what I remember as you guys were using some heavy models. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> at the time we were, um, uh, limited to using Mudbox and doing lots of like, displacement mapping, and it was uh, baking out your maps was really a nightmare. Um, but uh, yeah, super high poly models, and then obviously we had the RenderMan pipeline. So mm. you know, like the majority of the team actually modeled in Max, with the exception of like two or three guys. And so like everyone would model in Max and then they'd have to pump stuff out into Maya to process everything to start doing the like rendering. Yeah, it was uh it was a lot of work. I don't That's a they, runaround. I don't know if they use Renderman anymore. I, I think they might have moved to Redshift. Um so when I was in there the last house in there was what? Two thousand fifteen. Um, we had just moved to Redshift, but they were only using Redshift for the in-game cinematic stuff, like the Overwatch shorts. Oh, okay. Um, they were still using, as far as I know, 
render man at that point for the pre-rendered stuff. They might still be. I don't remember. But yeah, the Redshift thing was a breakthrough because they had cut their rendering in half with that GPU stuff um, that Redshift could could utilize. Um, and so now with, I'm sure, with the NVIDIA 3000 series out, I'm sure they're just blowing rendering out of the water. I remember that. It used to be so slow when you just render stuff. Like oh, man. Render candles and you just want to, you just render out three of the little, you know, pieces of a frame so that you could just see your candle and but then it was, stop the render. <laughs> that was one of my favorite moments working there is always submitting my work and cashing it out and sending it down the pipeline and getting it back two weeks later like beautifully lit by some professional who like does voodoo magic to your shot you're like i had no idea my shot could look that good yep it's pretty amazing it is beautiful stuff so you worked the cinematics for how long before the sad freaking departure uh i want to i want to say over three and a half years closer to four okay um I think it was just about four years. Um, and then in February, leap year of 2012, me and, I don't know, like 22 other people, I think at the time, were all kind of unceremoniously let go. A total of 800 people at Blizzard that day was let go. That was yeah, a big yeah, CS. I, I was just, yeah. They wouldn't have all fit in the office. No, they would not. They would not. Yeah, that was the, the first... Um, uh, what's it called? The first layoffs I had ever been through in my career in the video game industry too. So that was very eye-opening and scary. And honestly, that was the moment that the stars left my eyes, and I realized that I'm working for a company, and I'm not working at like an amusement ride, uh, where the company's got to make money. If we're not making money, they got to cut edges, and this is what they do. They got to let people go because letting people go equals more money from their salaries. And I'm like, oh shit. I need to step up my game and make sure that this doesn't happen. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think like you and I are pretty fortunate to have only, um, worked at one or two studios in our entire career. Yeah. Like given the fact that both of us have been in the industry closing in on 20 years, um, and the fact that we've only been with one to two studios a piece, is is almost unheard of like when, people, when i yeah when i tell people i was almost at blizzard for a decade they're like oh my god yeah they, they literally don't last a place more like if they stay in place more than two or three years they consider it like they're an old timer whereas for me it's i'm just sort of like hitting my stride after two years so yeah and that's an interesting topic scott it's like is that just because of our personalities we like to stay at one place as long as we can or is it just the nature of our industry that people jump around that often because of layoffs because projects don't make as much as they wanted to and they got to cut people or i would imagine it's a combination of the two i think that uh you know um part of it is just the volatile nature of a a not super mature industry right it hasn't been around for that long uh in regards to like if you consider us versus other entertainment like film or TV or, you know, those have been around since like the, you know, the, the teens and twenties or thirties. Right. It's like we started in earnest in what, like the fifties or sixties with Pong and then like really actually starting in like maybe the seventies or eighties. Yeah. Um, late seventies, I would say. Uh, so, um, you know, 
I think part of it is just the volatile nature of the industry, and part of it is that we're not unionized. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I think this is a large thing too, like in this country, in the world over. I think uh, anywhere you sort of have shareholders and stuff like that, where suddenly um, you're not beholden just to the people making the games, and you're not just your fans and not just your your employees, but also people who have invested in the company. Suddenly, like they have like a a uh, a say in how things are run and what's considered what's considered a success or a failure, and and what the consequences of. Uh, success and failure are for the studio so yeah and they may not even may not have even made a game in their life and just say nope we don't like that cut that and that's well, a scary again, thing it's just business right like for yeah. them oh, they yeah. literally they view uh they view video games like they view movies like they view any sort of like music it's a widget it's a thing mm-hmm. to make money from they really don't care about creative freedom or expression or uh, you're making a product. You're making a widget, and if your widget makes a lot of money, then they're really, really happy. And if oh, your yeah. widget, and and the problem that someone like Blizzard has is like their widgets always are like at the top of the food chain, regardless of what they make. And so, if their widget is, you know, if their widget can still be successful, like by any metric, uh, all the games that we were producing at that time were highly successful. But yeah. in comparison to what they project, like what Activision or um, Blizzard internally projects as like, this is what would be considered successful. Then, uh, you know, it might not be. And at that point, then the shareholders are like, well, we were expecting to get an extra $3. Uh, you know, I don't know sort of like the circumstances for why I personally was let go, but I have to imagine I was pretty junior. And, you know, I wasn't the fastest guy on the team and, and I wasn't the best texture artist. And so like when it's super high competitive like that, you kind of, you know, you always have to be comparing yourself to <laughs> the other people on the team. Don't go dying on me, buddy. <laughs> you okay? Oh, <laughs> good. <coughs> and cut. Don't go dying on me, you all right? I tried to take a drink all stealthy. <laughs> and I went down the wrong fucking pipe. <laughs> and I couldn't hit the mute button on my microphone fast enough. Just lean into it, man. Oh, fuck. I'm sorry. <clears throat> yeah, you feel like you were junior and you were easier or on the edge of being cut. Yeah, <clears throat> I guess I can I mean, see that. That's, that's just the nature <clears throat> of it, right? Like, again, yeah. when you look at it from a business perspective, like, I certainly wasn't happy about it. And, you know, there's certainly some strong emotions that get evoked when you think about it but oh yeah it is what it is uh i don't i'm not happy about it happening but i think that uh i had some or have had and continue to have some pretty rewarding experiences at the other places i've been yes and i want to bring that up because you mentioned creative freedom i've been curious about this Hmm. because you've you've had you've had the the blessed experience of only having to work at one or two places. But those two places you've worked at primarily in your career, one being Blizzard and one being Blind Squirrel, Blizzard, I feel, you know, they make all their own IPs. And Blind Squirrel, you are bidding for projects to work on and help out for other companies, which I think is a whole different experience 
also working in the remastering world of the games industry. Yes. Do you feel like now that you've had this experience with both and moved up the chain higher on the blind squirrel side, do you feel there's still a good creative freedom when compared to like a Blizzard studio when you're working on all your own IPs versus, hey, I've got a bid for this customer and they want it this way. How much can I take of my creative freedom and imply it towards what they want? Well, I mean, you have to be realistic about what creative freedom really is. Like, in the end, even Don't go breaking my dreams and everyone's dreams uh, on this podcast, Scott. You're uh, you're making somebody else's dream, right? Oh, like, shit. You didn't make World of Warcraft. Yeah, you yeah. You didn't write the story. You didn't design the character. You didn't, you know... But I'm part of the team. Right, but I mean, like, you're making the thing that somebody else... It's somebody else's dream that you are helping to turn into a visual medium um mm. so when you're doing that kind of stuff regardless of where you work i think it's a lot of uh like uh probably my my single greatest mentor when i was in this industry would be a guy named koi uh and he always would joke but he really wasn't joking in that he would say look if you're if you're in this industry you're not making art right you're making a product um and so, uh, regardless of whether or not it's a remaster or Blizzard's latest IP, it's not your IP. You're just a small cog in the wheel making a product for a game that will be seen for a tenth of a second. Um, and so, do you wait? Do you hear? Do you hear that? What? All of the students in this watching this right now have just died. They've all just fallen out of their chairs, realizing that they're spending the next three or four years. Working on something that someone's going to see for five seconds if they're going for the cinematic shot. That I was mean, my rock. Ooh, did you see that blink? I worked on that eyeball right there. Your link, yeah, but you're working on something so cool and you're part of a team that like, right. you know, does some really amazing stuff. So it's like <clears> someone, will, someone somewhere will be looking at that eyeball and being like, wow, how did they mm. do that? And they'll be like, that's inspired. me, that's mine. Yeah, inspired. I mean, I think... And, and the other thing too is like a lot of the stuff that you do get can can potentially get cut like that's just the nature of it like i yeah. worked at a place called uh god what was the name of it uh luma pictures so for about a month and a half i was at a place called luma pictures in between my stint with blizzard and then you know it was about a year between blizzard and blind squirrel but I, for a little over a month I, I would commute up to santa monica to this vfx house and, um, you know, I didn't know how to model in Maya at the time, and they were a full Maya studio. And so I got to work on some commercials, some car commercials. And, uh, and then towards the end of my stint there, they had started doing shots for Thor, the Dark World. Mm-mm. And so, like, I ended up making these trees, these super elaborate trees that, like, break apart and splinter mm-hmm. into pieces. Oh, shit, yeah. As part of, like, some scene where, uh, like, this, this giant rock troll is, is rolling through the forest, destroying all the trees. And then, uh, you know, you line it up with a plate and you model the whole thing out to the nines. And then the shot got cut. So, oh. I mean. That happens. It happens. You know. It's just how it works. But insofar as that's concerned, I mean, um, there's still quite a bit to enjoy about uh, the remaster stuff. Like, uh, it's a lot of limiting. It's limiting in that, like, your pipeline and your 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 core uh, art style is already set. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and the difficulty and the challenge is in taking something that already exists and that people expect to look a certain way and then finding a way to subtly make it look better or you know take some of the things that were clearly a problem with the original and uh, make those better so like for instance um i didn't even post any of this stuff on my website either i don't think but like you know, like I was the lead character guy on the on the remaster for Borderlands, and so, you know, ninety percent of my work was like taking the thing that was, you know, the original look, and without changing the look at all, trying to make it look better. Yeah. <clears throat> so you know, it's like don't break the UVs and like and mm -mm. make the model less faceted and upscale the textures and repaint stuff so that it doesn't look like, you know, maybe someone didn't have a lot of time and so there's like texture smearing so you gotta fix those UVs and and use a better uh, hand painted leather thing and then you projection paint it on and get rid of any seams that they just were not they didn't have the time to get rid of and yeah. so it's really subtle stuff, but like when you look at the original like if you look at it as taken as a whole, you can definitely see the difference. If you look at any one asset really quickly versus the original, you probably won't notice. But if you like are a modeler and you spend, you know, ten minutes looking at the two models side by side, you'll notice. It's like, oh, okay, I see all these weird texture scenes and now they're gone. Or yeah. you see that they put more line work in the in the designs and tried to make them look crisper and make more sense. And you know, it, it's stuff like that. Um, the other one that was like the real, the one that I most enjoyed was actually pretty early on at Blind Squirrel was when we were working on the Bioshock remaster. Okay. So there was, <clears throat> it was only, a, it was a pretty small character team. It was only like three guys. Um, and I was in charge of the team. And, you know, I ended up having to like redo the, like the player character's hands and, uh, you know, completely re-sculpt but you have to stay in the same proportion as the original. Of course. You, have to, you have to have fixed UVs because there's like 15 particle effects for all his plasmids and they, and they yeah. pan and they work a specific way. So if you change his UV directions, they break all of the things. So you have to remodel it and retopologize it, but keep the, the cut lines of all the UVs exactly the same. Oh so, my goodness. Yeah. It took a while to, to find a way to do that without breaking everything. And, uh, but it looked nice. I was pretty happy. And if you look at the original, there's like seams in his hands and funny shading errors. And, yeah. you know, the game was so amazing at the time. And so no one noticed. Right. But like when you, there's they quite a bit it. of effort that goes into trying to make that thing look the same, but different and better. And so, um, in that regard, it's very challenging and rewarding. Uh, sometimes it can get a bit tedious. Um, you know, you don't always get to use the tools that you want to. You don't always get to change things as much as you'd like. Um, you know, sometimes you, you push it too far and you have to pull it back a little. Um, sometimes, like, tech just won't allow you to do what you want to do, and you have to, you know, lean on engineering to find solutions to problems that you simply can't solve as an artist. Um, and, and for me, too, I've sort of... Um, uh, my position is lead character, but I'm actually a lead lead. Um, so I oversee teams right now on projects. Um, and so for the past like year or two, I've been doing a lot of leveling up of just like interpersonal skills and 
management, management skills. Yeah, like middle management kind of, you know, between Disc the art director. Training. Yeah. And then, you know, a lot of that stuff is keeping track of the project on the whole and keeping everyone pulling on the rope in the same direction and at the same time and making sure that they all, you know, basically functioning as like an ad hoc AD when the AD is gone or busy doing something else. Um, and then you get artists like me when producers or art directors ask, how long is it going to take you to do that? I have no idea. Yeah. Two I mean, weeks plus two weeks. I tend I mean, to, three weeks. I tend to be that guy who's like, so how, give me, give me your, you know, middle case estimate. How long is this going to take? <laughs> yeah. How about my worst case scenario next month? I'll see you next month. And then I like pull my hair out and be like, "All right, uh, we got to work on that." Let's a year ago, a year ago, Scott Army had long, luscious hair down to his shoulders, and now okay. what you see is <laughs> that's all that's left. That's all that's left. Oh man! So well, now, how long have you been at Blind Squirrel Games total? Uh, I started there as a temp in I want to say like June or July of twenty. 13 so about a year after a little over a year after my stint with blizzard ended and what's even so cool about your um your path is you've also seen two companies blow up as far as like crew size and what you're handling and how many teams are now at your studio because i mean when you first got it at blind square there was what maybe 25 30 people last i want to say i was i think i was like employee number 18 or 19 okay I was the last of the core art guys, and there was only four of us. There was Koi, Galen, uh, Craig, an animator, and myself. And we were all doing environment art for, I think it was Evolve. Okay. And and, uh, and so that was the core like 3D art team. And I think the entire team was like 17 people, maybe 20 oh, people. Oh, wow. Wow. And so then, like, as far as the trajectory of the company was concerned, like, then uh, we got to about 45 people when we were doing Bioshock, the collection. Yeah. And by the end of that, I think we were closer to 50 or 60. And then we moved again to a different office. And that's where we, I think, uh, it's kind of weird, again, because of for hire work, um, studios like that tend to expand and contract, unfortunately. Yeah. It's a uh, very feast or famine. I've been lucky in that I've been able to sort of Guide persist. the waters, yeah. Yeah, yeah. persist. Um, and so I think at one point we were maybe at like 150-some-odd people, maybe 160. And I think we're depth back down to like 120 or 130 or something. I don't okay. know. But, Still a big yeah. grow. Still a big grow. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's nice. Um, it's nice to see your capabilities because like the stuff that you can pull into the studio and the stuff that the studio tracks is definitely um, a function, both of the skill set of the people and the people who, you know, the people doing the work, the people who are good at selling the studio and then the number of bodies in seats. Yeah. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. I've been given this question, um, often lately do you because of, of now me being back to qa um and having your path go through qa as well at least through blizzard do you still feel like qa is a viable path if you're not 
getting the callbacks to the character art associate positions or to the animation associate positions, you still feel like QA is a viable path to go that would get you eventually to that development spot still? Uh, I, I mean, I don't think it's, I think that's more, I think these days, um, I want to say no. Um, and the reason why is it's more technical and the demands of being a QA person are so much higher now than they were than when we started. Hmm. I mean, I think that like when we started, it was more like, you know, can you play the game? Can you discern when bugs are occurring? Can you do are you some breathing? simple math? You know? <laughs> can you clock so you, in and out? Yeah. And, and so if you could do all those things and like you were even remotely astute and could pay attention for more than 15 minutes, I think yeah. like you could sort of find a niche within the team to be able to be productive. But I think these days, uh, QA is a much more professional and specialized field. So that uh, I would think that uh, if you wanted to be an engineer, like a test engineer or any kind of engineer, like a programmer, or you wanted to be a designer, I think that would be a, a better fit for a QA person. Mm. Um, I, th I think that like, uh, for art, you really need to be focused on art. I really feel like, uh, you know, talent is part of it. Like there are some people who are like super crazy talented who, you know, um, Talent is part of it, but like the people who really, really excel, and I need to take my own advice in this regard because I've sort of fallen off the boat as I've become a lead. I've, I do a lot less art, unfortunately, in my own time. Uh, is mileage being like being talented and then being like like obsessive about art. So mm -hmm. instead of like instead of like going out with your friends or instead of playing video games, believe it or not, or you know, like the thing that you were obsessed about is like 3D or animation or whatever. And so I think that like you would be better served if, if at all possible by spending a lot more time doing the thing you enjoy or are frankly obsessed about. I think uh, that coupled with at least some requisite talent will serve those guys better. I think if they're just trying to get in the door um, at a place like Blizzard, they're going to be rudely awakened when they realize that like QA is no joke and they're going to have to spend a metric ton of time just working, you know, just keeping their job there and not, uh, and not, you know, they're not going to suffer morons. <laughs> yeah. I, there, there's a lot of good points you bring up, but I will say that I think you could still do QA now as an artist which I'm attempting to do right now. Um, but like you mentioned, you've got to work your nine to five on QA and you got to be focused on that QA work. Cause it's no joke now because we have so many awesome tools and we have so many, at least on, on the religious side, we have so many projects we're working on. There's a lot to keep track of and a lot to keep organized and blah, 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 blah. But if you're still trying to get into whatever set art path design path, I think if you've got the motivation and the inspiration to do it, you can still work on the stuff outside and use QA as the biggest networking platform you could ever imagine, especially oh, with yeah. with like just meeting people on, on the projects that you're working on and trying to get an end path. Kind of like what you did is just asking, like, let me just get your feedback on the shit I'm working on outside at least, and then I can yeah. kind of 
carve my path through, but still being able to maintain that eight hour day job is still an eight hour day job. Yeah, I just, I, I totally agree. Uh, it's not to dissuade people from going into QA. And, and yeah, don't crush of... all my listeners' <laughs> fucking dreams here, Scott. I just, uh, coming out here swinging. You gotta, you definitely have to be ready to be one of those people that stays up till four in the morning yes. and get obsessed about like just how do I UV this thing better or how do I model this thing better or why and does that's my stuff suck? I can't, I can't pull the late hours anymore. Like right now it's just uh, animating on the weekends when the kids are asleep or at this point when the kids are asleep and I can't, damn, Scott, I can't make it past 1am anymore. I've tried. I, I've tried I, to stream uh, like to one a.m. and on stream, I'm like yawning every five minutes. My eyes are just half shut. I'm just spinning the viewport around, going, "Yeah, yeah, I'm streaming." The only way that I can, if I feel like I'm trapped or I'm not doing well or I'm just like second guessing my abilities, um, the only way that I can like combat that is to shut my door at like eleven at night and then just model till like four in the morning. And mm. if I don't do that, like, I won't be able to fall asleep. Like, I just... You got to feel it, like you've done something productive in your artwork. I feel like you kind of, like, get all those bad drawings out to get to the next level type of thing. Well, I don't even know if it's that. I just need to do something. Like, mm -hmm. if I'm not... If I feel like I'm... If I feel like I'm doing something, I don't feel quite as bad. Even if it's not something of super value, it's just flexing that muscle a little bit and like then painting warhammer well mm, that's just for entertainment that not so much that it's more like 3d modeling in my spare time or doing some sculpting that is just going to be throwaway and no okay. one's ever going to see or um, you know learning how like i've been spending like the past probably three or four months just like i hadn't touched substance painter in over a year and they had changed all kinds of things with it and uh i ended up going back in and had to spend some time really reacquainting myself with it because it's one of those things where if you don't use it for or at least for me if i don't use something for you know two or three months i lose it yep yeah, it comes that. back quickly when i start to do it but like i lose it and so most of my time at work is spent uh managing people and managing problems and communicating up and down stream so it's you know like facilitating artists to figure out problems with engineers so that all of the art team can keep moving in one direction. It's yes. not like they don't expect me to solve the problem. They expect me to facilitate the problem being solved. And so I don't do a lot of art on hours and, you know, I'm working 40 to 60 hours a week. So, um, you know, if I'm not doing much art after that, because there are times when I was working crazy overtime and I just did not feel like doing art for several months and I just didn't. And so like what I do is I just like check out after I finish work and I recognize that I need to do something else. So I do Warhammer painting or I play, play Call of Duty or something like that, or I could just, you know, pick it up for two hours and then put it down. And, and, and when I started to feel like I wanted to do it more then I would just start doing it and, and it's at that point where I get anxious if I'm not working on it. Like when I start to get back into it. Hey, yeah. to each their own. To <laughs> each their own. And that's your motivation. That's what you got to do. Yep. Um, it, we're almost to an hour here, Scott. Let me uh, let me wrap this thing up while I'm not keeping you here all night long. And I appreciate oh, your time for coming out and, and spitting with us tonight. I appreciate it. 
<laughs> you've given us a lot of good uh, information and, and food for thought, honestly. Um, well, thanks. So I've got some fun questions, but I want to uh, start it off with who's your favorite artist or where do you like to draw inspiration from? Oh, God. Um, for inspiration, mostly I just like watch movies. Mm. Um, A particular genre or particular director <coughs> or filmmaker? Uh, not really. Like, uh, sometimes you just watch movies to just have something like, you know, clean your visual palette a little. Um, Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> Groundhog Day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Groundhog Day. So good. Uh, like, you know, like David Fincher's one that I like to watch just cause like his, um, his cinematography and his use of color is so amazing. Um, but, uh, I mean, as a general, like if you're asking like a generalized thing that I watch, it's like horror movies. That's the genre oh, that I most enjoy. Okay. And, and then follow closely by like sci-fi and fantasy, but uh, horror is kind of my, my, my jam. Uh, it's not really horror, but we just started watching the season two of, uh, or whatever it is, The Haunting of Bly Manor. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Castle Rock is a good one. I don't know um, that one. Oh, really? That's Hulu. That's um, okay. it's basically like Stephen King, um, and he sort of ties in some of the characters and events from his uh, more well-known books into uh... sort of different, like, almost like uh, pre-narratives, you know? like uh, <clears throat> Okay like prequels <coughs> nice all right uh what is the favorite your your most favorite asset that you've worked on oh and, god uh, and why uh, scott oh man i don't know <laughs> i mean you mentioned the uh the bioshock remastered hands i mean the player character's hands it's pretty important yeah that was uh that was a pretty high watermark for me um you know that whole project was just because I got to run the team and build the team and 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 do direction for all the character art and and stuff like that. So I think that project was my favorite one. Okay. Um, and I loved the game as well. So it was a real, you know, it's a real. It really tickles you pink when you get to not only play a prominent role in sort of assigning out the tasks and doing some of the higher level work, but you're also a real big fan of the game. Oh, yeah. it's, it's it's another thing if it's like you know like we were saying uh my little pony or you know barbie yeah, stream barbie house Street if you're house, working yeah. on barbie stream house you're probably not uh no matter how in charge you are of that you're probably not too psyched about it you but, never know barbie's dream house might come with a barbie's dream house check behind it and you could be i was gonna camera. say like maybe if it's like a barbie's <laughs> bmw that's right where's my barbie mansion where's my barbie <laughs> assets thank you I got my barber vacation home. That's right. That's right. Last question I've got is what we're going to call the uh, tip of the podcast. If you have a tip for anybody, students out there, someone that wants to get into the industry, uh, what would that be for us, Scott? Uh, I, I guess there's a few things, if I can. can yeah. I? Yeah, you can do as many as you want. Yeah. All right. First one, don't be a dick. Don't be um, a dick. We've said that one before on here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, oh, you have? That's already been done? Yeah, it, you saying it just goes to show um, how big that is in this industry. If I can't work with you as an individual and we can't see eye to eye in our creative ways, like there's there's no room for you in this small industry. Yeah, let me just say as a lead, like only part of what you look for with the people that we hire is requisite talent. Like obviously you want people who are 
You want people who are competent and will not make more work for you or make more trouble for you, uh, speaking as a lead. Uh, but what you really want is a person who's reasonably talented, who's also uh, has a really uh, easygoing demeanor. Like if you're a jerk or um, really inflammatory and people don't like working with you, uh, you won't last long. And, and the other part of that too is that this is such a small industry. Um, it kind of travels because again, people move studios so often. So like if you're a jerk to someone in one studio and suddenly they're like best friends with the lead at the studio you're applying at, you best be believing that they're going to be like uh, poisoning that well for you for all yeah. time. Yeah. So that would be my number one tip. Uh, as far as like, um, the work side of it, there's kind of two parts. And um, on the one hand, I think that uh, you shouldn't get precious with your work and you should try and do as much stuff as quickly as possible. Uh, like with drawing, you just, you get better through mileage. Even if you're not a super talented person, you just, it's like walking. If you, you know, if you walk every day from the time you're a baby, by the time you're five years old, you're a professional walker, even if you're not like a super agile person, right? Just, I still have problems sometimes walking around, sorry. Well, I mean, there's no accounting for animators, but... <laughs> I was studying my walk, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, I mean, in that regard, I need to take my own advice because I can get a little precious with things and... and I think that one of my weaknesses certainly was that um, early on, I'd get obsessed with one asset. And so I would try and build that asset and rebuild it and rebuild it and rebuild it. And I would do it like three or four times. And I think there's a limited um, limited benefit in doing that. I'm a little obsessive compulsive. So that's just, I don't know if I'll ever stop being that way. But uh, Like a diminishing returns to that type of deal? Yeah, I think like if you do stuff really quickly and ideate and then do something new to learn more, like David Lesperance, right? That dude was, he's a, he's a rock star. He was, he was at Blizzard and Cinematics. He's been at Valve. He's been at 343. Uh, I don't know where he is now, but that dude was like the polar opposite of me in terms of A, being mega talented, but B, he could like, like learn something new and and ideate and 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 not get tied to it super mm. fast like he would just like build a thing over a weekend and be done with it and move on to the next thing and build that and be done with it and build that and 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 so just through mileage he would get so much better so much faster than me um the other thing too though and this is sort of where my strength lie is in being um singularly focused and obsessed so if you are um if you really want to do this you need to sort of do it and and focus on it intently like it's like it's the only thing that matters for at least a short period of time while you're you know getting getting your legs under you and starting to really um figure it all out because like if you're a person who just like does something for six months then you're like eh, whatever i don't think I don't think this industry is for you. Like, this is sort of a long-term commitment, for sure. And if you're a student right now, this is the perfect time to really single in on that focus or hone in on that focus and really just kind of hunker down and get into your craft for those whatever two or three years you're going to be in schooling and put your money, you know, 
to work. Let it work for you instead of work against you and not learn. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people like, uh, and this isn't something that I know from experience because, like, again, the the night school that I went to is, I think it's out of business. It's it was like, it was like an adult education center is what it was. But I think that um, there's a lot of people that go into those schools that I've heard of that like, you know, they just do it because they don't know what they want to do with their lives, and then they waste their time and they realize that oh, you have to work really hard to get good at like being a character artist yeah. or a prop artist or a vehicle artist. It's like I just thought you went in there and pressed the make cool gun butt yeah and uh you know then it's like nope you got to spend like three years just all you're doing is making guns the entire time and or you're just sculpting hands and faces and you know be in for you got to be in it for the long haul and i think early on you should probably try and try everything so you can really get a feel for what you like um and then uh and then really just put all of your all of your passion and your heart into mm-hmm. it for sure yeah i agree i agree it, it it is very helpful just to single in and just focus on your craft as much as you can if you've got the time to do it yep don't have kids yeah uh, <laughs> do it, do it. Uh, yeah another podcast episode right there like oh yes baby maker artist do it before you have kids. If you want to become an artist, do it before you have kids. Because once you have that. kids, oof. But like being an artist with kids, like how that dynamic changes your time and your routine and, and how you have to kind of adjust with that. That's a whole other video that I've got plans for. Yeah, we should, we should Yeah, we should hook up again and uh, talk about that. I certainly have opinions for sure. kids and doing art. So my, uh, my little tip or trick for this podcast, uh, this, this episode, is version control use it and love it version your files um, especially in animation where you can what i like to do is kind of set notes in my versioning like this is the blocking phase this is when i got the first half of the jump this is the landing part of the jump this is where i nailed down the overlap that way if i fuck something up in my current work i can go back one or two steps to that solidified yes i liked where i was at at this point i can start from there and not lose several hours of work maybe just lose one or two hours of work if you want to um, iterate and and change some things along the way so version control is huge uh to save you time in the long run what do you use github uh, no i just do save as and this type of different version i like to oh. do i like to, yeah i keep a separate folder called i almost like what we were doing in cinematics back in the day was um you've got Kimmy, your main right? your main work file and then you've got a, a, vol, a folder that says version or ver and inside the ver is where i do all my separate uh um, versioned files from there like oh, 001 dear. underscore blocking 002 underscore polished steps you know what i mean if you if you if you buy if you build that media server like we were talking about and yeah. uh, buy me dinner, I will set you up a Perforce server. It's yes. so much better. Yes, yeah, so much better. Happen. Apparently, I need to get Perforce and uh, get that hooked up. But version oh control. God. Don't underestimate yeah. it. Don't underestimate it. Uh, Scott, man, I don't want to keep you too long. It's been over an hour. Do you got any uh, social media websites you want to plug before we go? Oh. Uh, I guess just my personal website is uh, www.scottarmy3d.com. Uh, I haven't updated it in forever. So oh, yeah. You're going to see some I'm... good stuff on there then. 
Uh, no, I mean, the stuff is good. I just, it's just, you know, I mean, if you look at the timestamp, the stuff is a little old, but I mean, I promise you, I'm not a terrible artist. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's about it. Maybe more, uh, in the coming months or year. Yes. Tease us. I like it. I like it. Well, Scott, man, thank you so much for coming out and talking with us tonight. I greatly appreciate you. Oh, thank and I you, miss sir. your face. I miss our um, Fuddruckers run and getting our tasty burgers and fries. Oh, I know, man. This is once this whole thing clears up. But like, you're one of like three or four people that I really want to actually, you know, reconnect with. <laughs> uh, you just miss my good hugs, is all. You can say it. <laughs> well, all right, everybody. Thank you again for coming out and watching the podcast. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Here's to a better 2021. Um, go support an artist, go be kind to one another. You know, the drill I say every damn time on here. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You said it. You said the words. I'm wearing my Christmas hat. You just can't see it, Scott. Uh, again, thank you all. And we'll see you on the next episode. All right. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate you. Thank you, man. Bye. Better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way. And after all, if you do really like what you're doing, it doesn't matter what it is, you could eventually become a master of it. It's the only way to become a master of something, to be really with it.